Get your Bibles in Romans chapter number five. And the first dispensation that we talked about was the innocence of man. And for the human race, we went over, this is Adam's creation to Adam's fall. For us as individuals, it's our creation, our natural birth, to our fall. When we willfully disobey and we willfully sin against God. And innocence, we see its starting point back in the garden. But there's no ending point to that. And in Romans chapter 5, let's read that. Then I'll make the point I wanted to make off of this uh, word here. But in Romans chapter number 5, let's start reading at verse number 12. Whereas, by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. That would be that one man, Adam. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We all get that. We all come from Adam's seed. Bible says in verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. And we made the application that every baby that is born is covered by the grace of God. In other words, that baby's innocence, even though that baby does wrong, even though that baby was conceived in sin, it hasn't willfully disobeyed. And so we see that that dispensation didn't end. It's still working today. And the, the example I'd like to bring out on that is, if your one-year-old or your two-year-old pitches a fit or takes a toy and throws it across the room, at another child. Well, we know that's wrong. That's sin. That's they, they shouldn't be doing that. That's wrong. They don't know it's wrong. <laughs> they aren't experiencing guilt over that. <laughs> it's just toy, throw, fit, over. There's no thinking through that at all. God doesn't hold that against that child who, yes, is a sinful little creature. But he doesn't impute sin to that baby, to that toddler's account. They're not feeling guilty. As a matter of fact, those of you that have parented know that if you're going to start disciplining your child, and you should at a very young age, if you don't handle it like right after something happens, you might as well just forget it because they're not even going to be able to piece the two together. <laughs> Baby, a, you know, two-year-old throws toy, you duck. <laughs> and if you try to handle that tomorrow and explain to them that, that they're going to have no idea, it's not going to register. Because they're not willfully disobeying. They're just... Their innocence just can't keep them from sinning. Okay? So what happens? Well, we saw from the fall of man to Noah's flood, next we talked about conscience. And we went to Genesis chapter 3, and we saw that after eating, they received what? The knowledge 
of good and evil. And so they were given a guide, if you will, inside so they would know what is right and what is wrong. And we made the point that it would be unbiblical to say that God spoke to man this way only after the fall to the flood. And we brought out the point again that, okay, this truth of conscience was dispensed, but God didn't recall that truth. We might have an age in time that ended, but that truth that was dispensed didn't end. And so we have to be careful that we don't put an end point to conscience. And if you turn back to Romans chapter 1, we can see by way of review that principle. Because now you have that child in that same room with that same toy. And now they have a conscience that's come alive. And now they kind of look over their shoulder before they throw the toy. <laughs> or, you know, they wing that truck at somebody and then they, they're looking over their shoulder to see who saw it. What is that? That's their conscience telling them something. And the Bible says in Romans chapter number one, verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God, there's that knowledge again, they glorified him, not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. God made things known. He gave knowledge and that is part of our conscience bearing witness. People can run from that and try to squelch that, if you will. But God put in us a conscience. And Romans 2, let's look at that. Verse 14. To the other side of this. We already did some preaching on this, so I'll just read it and make a few small comments. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature... The things contained in the law. How can they do the things contained in the law when they don't have it? Because by nature, there's something written in them. These having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. And here it is. What's bearing witness? Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts. The meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. So your conscience, it can produce fear. Your conscience can produce convictions. But it couldn't save you. Your conscience can't save you. And so we saw how that ended. God had to step in again. Because man in a state of innocence will still run away from the direction God wants him to go. God giving man, dispensing the truth of conscience to a man. Same thing. It's written in him. Conscience can bear witness. What does man do? He runs the other way. But we see 
human government comes into play. Conscience was the pre-flood dispensation. Human government now is the post-flood dispensation. Where'd that begin? Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel or Babel, which is, I guess, where they get Babel. I don't know if you're supposed to say Babel or Babel. I don't know if that's a north-south thing or east or west of the Mississippi. But none, nonetheless, in Genesis 11, that's where that happened. Now, uh, so someone's building a big tower of Babel. I can't wrap my mind around why someone would be building a tower of Babel. Well, we want people to understand what the biblical answer or the biblical solution to racism is. Aren't there other ways? It's just, it's odd to me that we're, I mean, how high, how high is this tower going to be built? That's what I want to know. Well, we're not going to build it that high. That thing messed, messed up a lot of people. That's why God, the people were so wicked. That's why God said, we're going to scatter and we're going to confuse the languages. And that's how we got all of our languages. I don't know if it's a good idea. I'm just asking. I'm not telling. Is it a good idea to try to recreate the rebellion of man? I don't know. But to me, that's a touchy thing. But what did you have in human government after that Tower of Babel? You had now you have mentions of nations. You have mentions of families. You have mentions of kings. You have mentions of uh, armies. Why? Because now there's a governing factor that was put into play. No longer is it just the state of innocence. No longer is it a conscience that's going to guide. There's now a governing power. And that's why we see those terms being used in the Bible. So the government was the restraining force for man. And God wasn't speaking through them. They weren't God's prophets. But we talked about those people in those nations were governed by the ruler of that nation or that family or that army. And they were all dealt with by God based on what that particular ruler did. And so we saw, we saw human government. Go to Romans 13. So we know there was a starting point in that, in that dispensing of truth. But it did not end because what does Romans 13 tell us? Look at verse number one. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Some call them the powers that should not be. <laughs> but they be. <laughs> they be. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained. Of God, yeah, but that ruler hates God. I understand, but God set up a human. He dispensed the truth of human governing. He didn't say it would be perfect. Matter of fact, we see many examples in the Scripture where quite the opposite happens. He didn't tell us to spend all our hours complaining about the government. He said, "Let every soul be subject unto higher powers." Verse two: Whosoever therefore resisteth the power. Resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. I don't believe that's talking about phys uh, spiritual damnation to eternal hell. It's not like you 
you, you protest against the government, God, no. It's a physical damning that's related to consequences down here on earth. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. God's allowing it to happen. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And, and it goes on. Okay, so the child's a baby. What did we see? He just throws the toy. There's no guilt. He gets a little bit older. His conscience bears witness. He looks over the shoulder and he wants to make sure nobody's looking because he knows it's wrong. Now, the parent has to step in and govern that thing and say, okay, here's the rules. Here's how we're going to run it. Because the child can't restrain themselves. So mom and dad have to step in as that restraining governing force. This is why teachers have to govern their students. They don't just let them run and do whatever. You imagine going to, imagine all the school teachers getting together at lunch and saying, you know what, I think a good idea, we'll just let their conscience govern them. I don't think they'll get through half a class before there's a mess. No, those teachers get together and say, okay, here's the rules. And they make sure they restrain those students. Businesses have the same thing. If you're an employee, you have to follow the rules that the employer set. Well, I don't like them. Well, Romans 13 says you don't have to like them. You just have to get yourself in line to them or find another job or start your own business. And then you be the guy that everybody says, I don't like the rules. But that business, that franchise that owner has to say, this is what we're doing, and this is the rules. My, my papa, he, he ran an Italian bakery in, uh, up toward Patterson, New Jersey, years back. Uh, and uh, he, it, 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 it was called the Yellow Cottage, and they had... Um, you know, Italian pastries and Italian deli meats and all this. And, um, they, but he did a lot of uh, he did a lot of sales on the bakery side. And I remember talking to him about this when I was a young uh, teenager. Uh, and he said that he knew people would steal. Now, back in those days, cash wasn't like a bad word. <laughs> People paid a lot in cash. And because of that, he couldn't get away from people stealing from him. So what he his mindset was, I'm just telling you what he, what he, what he said and what he thought. I'm not saying I would do it or you should do it. But his mindset was, people are going to steal. So he just worked it into the equation of how his profit would work out. Now you can just get cameras and you can do everything on credit card. You can have, there's so many layers of protection for the business owner that it makes things a lot easier. 
But when you're dealing with cash and you have to trust people, you need a lot of restraining rules or it's just not going to work out the way you thought it would. Human government. Where do we move past from human government? We moved into talking about promise and we saw that that was also termed family or patriarchal. And it lasts for 430 years. The call of Abraham to Israel's arrival at Mount Sinai. God spoke to Abraham. What did he do? He called out a nation and he wanted them separate from all other nations. And he gave them not all the other nations. He gave them Abraham called him out and he gave them promises. And he was silent to all the other nations. And no new revelation was given at that time to anyone besides Abraham's uh, called out people. That was it. Did this end at Mount Sinai? When the law was given, did it end? Those promises didn't end. We looked at Genesis 17. What did we see? It was everlasting covenant. Promises are everlasting. What does that mean? That means that the complete fulfillment of those promises that God gave to Abraham and to the church age, not the end of the church, the end of the church age, uh, Daniel's 70th week, fulfillment of that. And then after that, then the complete fulfillment of those promises will come to pass. For that nation. But did those promises save them? They did not. Because what happened? It was a nation of idolatry. And they ended up in Egyptian bondage. Now, parents like you to get a hold of this. I know it's a familiar for, uh, verse. Go to Ephesians 6. Let's make some practical application with this verse uh, in regard to promise. Now, look, the, God's promise to Abraham were for us, but look at Ephesians 6. Verse number one, all you kids pay attention, open your Bibles. Read this a couple of times on your own tonight. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. That it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. There's this idea here that a reward is attached. There's a promise given, a reward attached to obeying. You will live long. You know what employers do? You know what businesses do? If you show up to work on time, if you do a great job, if you bring value to the company, we will give you a raise. We will give you extra hours. We will give you a paid vacation. There's a reward attached to an if then. If you do this, we promise to do that. That principle is still alive today, even though we are not Israel. We're just making some practical application for us. Today, um, Galatians chapter number six. Look at Galatians six. Same principle is here. Verse number seven, Galatians six, verse seven. 
Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We all know that verse. You're going to reap what you sow. And what's, what's happening here? You sow to good, you're going to reap good. You keep going down the wrong path, you're going to reap the consequences. It's guaranteed. It's promised by God. If then. If you want to sow to that, get ready to reap that. But if you want to sow to this, get ready to reap this. Little Johnny's throwing the toy. You know, if you quit throwing that toy, you might just get yourself dessert tonight. Do we need to discipline our children? Yes. But do we need to reward our children for doing right? Yes. God rewards. And so we should kind of get in line with that in some way, shape, or form. Good behavior should somehow be compensated if you want to earn the respect of the chastisement. If it's always a spanking, a spanking, a spanking, if it's always a discipline, but it's never a, hey, great job, here's a reward for doing good. It's hard for the child to understand. They only know your character as rat. <laughs> they should definitely see you as a, as a rewarder. As a rewarder. God's going to give rewards. The law was the next one we looked at. Given at Mount Sinai on tables of stone. And we said if they obeyed those laws, they enjoyed righteous living. And isn't that a blessing? Raising the kids, you give them some laws and some rules to obey. And they enjoy righteous living in the house. That's how that works. Now, what do we talk about with this, um, with this law that was dispensed? It was given to the nation. It wasn't given to us. But it's still alive today because what does Galatians 3 tell us? The law is a schoolmaster, what? To bring us to Christ. You could still use the law in witnessing. Make sure that you use it lawfully to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to try to tell them they have to keep it, but to show them that they can't keep it. It's kind of why the law was given. But is that the end of the law? Not even with us, because come the millennial kingdom, what will be taught, what will be obeyed? We look at we look back in, in Micah chapter uh, four, I believe it was, and we saw just that. So this idea, look, this dispensing had a starting point. But we need to be real careful to say that God recalled it. It's going to come back into light at some point in time. What happens with children? The promise of a reward. It's just too distant. And so because the promise is just too distant, they just say, ah, oh, forget it. And they just rebel. And what does mom and dad have to do then? Give a consequence. Here's the law. 
I'm laying down the law. When they end up sinning, the law has to step in. That's why we have police officers. If you end up doing wrong, if you end up sinning, the law is going to step in and bring down the hammer. Here's the consequence. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the man that had to have instant gratification and just could not wait, he gets a job, he's going to get a paycheck on Friday, but he just could not wait to get food. And so he knocks off the, the, the grocery store and he gets caught and the police arrest him and he's thrown in jail. When that happens, does that man's heart get fixed? It doesn't get fixed. When your child sins and you have to discipline them and you should discipline them so they understand there's consequences and that law comes down because they're sinning. Does the law, does the punishment, does the discipline, does that fix their heart? It doesn't. <laughs> Say you're sorry to your sister. Sorry. They're not sorry. They're just doing it because that is what they were told to do. It doesn't fix their heart. Oh, I caught you. Now your heart's fixed. No. Every parent knows that. But you know what it does do? It allows you to manage the rebellion. <laughs> That's what it allows you to do. The employer can manage the employee. And it restrains them until their heart is fixed. But it does not fix their heart. It just restrains them until their heart is fixed. And so that how, that's how this all plays out in a family element or this all plays out in our lives as individuals as we were grown up. None of us that are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s are going to take a toy and throw it at somebody. But there was a time when we would. And that's why we started all the way at innocence. We're so far from that now, we, we tend to lose sight of it. After the law, then we talked about the church. So you realize you're not so innocent. You realize that your conscience convicts you. You realize that. You wouldn't follow the human government, the governing, uh, the, any, any type of authority that was over you. That's the word I'm looking for. Whether it was mom and dad, the teacher at school, the boss at work. And you were under the law and the consequences came and you realized I'm sunk. So you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1 and you saw that you were guilty and you needed to repent. And so now you're placed in a body. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse number 18. 
and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So you're in this body, and Jesus Christ is the head of this body. Now, get a hold of this. Does that cause your conscience to just go away? No. Does that cause government to go away? No. Does that cause the law to go away? No. But when you trust Christ and you're placed into his body, what does that do? Now your past experience. Now as a Christian, your past experience allows you to so appreciate where you came from and who you now are living for. Even when we get saved and are placed into the body of Christ, all of that is still there, and it should give us a better appreciation for why we are serving the Lord. All the previous truth that was dispensed to you should now bring you to a better understanding of that truth that was previously dispensed. That makes sense? A new birth should bring along a new understanding. That's the idea. New understanding. And the last one we talked about was the kingdom. You get the rule and reign with King Jesus. And that's pretty good. I know there's supposed to be seven, but it's kind of, there's eternity too. That would make it eight, and that messes up the numbers on the charts, but eternity. After that millennial kingdom, eternity. So, last thing I'd like to uh, finish with tonight is, these are starting places. Very important, starting places of when God dispenses truth. But they are not ending places. They're starting points. And we can get a hold of all that type of truth. Even as we see a child get brought up. We see somebody get saved. Be placed into a body. And then you can even look back and recall and appreciate. And get a better understanding. So they're starting points. Not ending 